Hi, everyone. I'm Rebecca Gagan, and this is Waving Not Drowning, a UVic Bounce podcast. Today's episode is being recorded on the unceded and unsurrendered territories of the Wasanich and Lekwungen peoples. In today's episode of Waving Not Drowning, I talk with Dr. Corinne Bancroft, an assistant professor in the Department of English at the University of Victoria. Corinne earned her PhD from the University of California, Santa Barbara, with a dissertation titled A Child's Call, Braiding Narratives in the Face of Racial Violence, which traces how American authors focus on child characters as instruments for narrating violence and how these children's voices call adult characters and actual readers toward a heightened sense of social responsibility. Her publications appear in narrative, style, and cognitive semiotics. In our conversation, Corinne shares with me some of her experience of being an undergraduate student at Hamilton College in the United States in the early aughts. She talks about how very early on in her undergraduate studies, she took a course that really shattered the illusions that she had about the world. This course combined with the fact that she was bearing witness to some very troubling racism at the college around her really moved Corinne to try to think about how she could try to start building a world in which she wanted to live. Corinne shares how essential it was for her to really question um, the college system, to really question those institutions which she had really come to understand and see as being deeply enmeshed in racist practices and in racism, and that she came together with her friends, with her community, her classmates to really start to do the work of um, advocating, of being activists, to start to transform the college into a place where she wanted to study, where her friends wanted to study. And she talks about how you know, these, she, she saw herself as an ally, but these were her friends who were experiencing this racism. Um, this was her community. And she, you know, was grappling with, yes, having these illusions about the world shattered, but then really coped with that by setting about and trying to join with her community to, to change, change these systems. Corinne shares an experience that I think many, many students have in which they take a course or, um, you know, engage with um, some kind of an extracurricular activity or get involved with activism on campus. And they have their, their illusions, their ideas about the world shattered. And what she also shares is how powerful and how important that kind of shattering is, even if it can feel really uncomfortable and, um, you know, really challenging at the time, she gets at how it is this moment in which you really sort of start to realize that you do have a voice that can be used for change, that you can do something. And as she says, that you can start to create the world in which you want to live. 
I'm Rebecca Gagan, here today with Dr. Corinne Bancroft, and this is Waving, Not Drowning. Hello, Corinne. It's so nice to have you uh, here today. Thanks, Rebecca. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> How have you been doing? Pretty good. I'm happy that it's springtime again. Yes, I think that um, as is uh, the case that as soon as the sun is shining and we feel that spring is coming, yeah. <laughs> we feel a bit more hopeful about um, about the, the future, not just with um, the pandemic and vaccines on the way, but also just with our spirits, I think. Right, yeah. As well. So how, I can't believe that it's been almost a year now uh, since we moved into um, this kind of uh, lockdown and pivot to online learning. Uh, how have you found the year? Well, um, yeah, you're talking to me on a sunny day. So I want to say it's been great, but this was probably the hardest year ever of my entire life of teaching and just being in the world was so it was really tough. And I, I think it was tough for everybody. Yeah. You know, there were points in which I thought I was going insane, but if I did, I don't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, just hearing you say that, that it's was one of the hardest years, not just for teaching, but just sort of a really tough year to get through in, in general, right? That I think we, yeah. um, there's been so much kind of, um, at least for me, like a, a kind of feeling of running on adrenaline or this kind of momentum yeah. that's pushing you through it that in some ways you don't even know um, necessarily how you've, how, you've, how you've coped or, um, mm. you know, that it's very much day to day. And as you say, the sun shining, makes yeah. a big difference. Has there been something that has uh, been supportive for you this year? Yeah. Well, the thing that made the biggest difference in my life, aside from Megan, who I live with, is my dog Dumbledore. <laughs> I think that if I didn't have him, you know, there might not be any reason to wake up in the morning sometimes, but he makes a reason to wake up and he makes me go for a walk every day. And after I do anything, like after we finish the Zoom call, he's going to say, okay, time to go outside and play. So absolutely, he, he punctuates the day with joy. So I'm very grateful that we had this dog going into this because I think it would be really hard for both of us, you know, working as hard as we can and then coming, you know, back into the common area and like being so exhausted. It's hard to build up each other. And so since we have this dog that thinks this is the best thing that has ever happened to him is that both his people are home. And it makes us feel a little bit better about it too. Oh, that is so true, Corinne. I mean, our dog, Audrey, so we got her the month before uh, the pandemic really hit. And I had left her alone at that point, I think only for maybe like an hour, less than an hour at a time. Right. And then she has never been alone. And so yeah, she probably doesn't even know how to be alone yet. <laughs> oh, no, she doesn't. And so I think whenever like we're, we're back, you know, in the classroom face to face, I really don't know what will happen. I'll probably have to bring her with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> She's uh, so used to yes, her humans. And it's like, oh, for 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 Audrey, uh, this is like the best time. <laughs> She's yeah, yeah. Right, but she's known nothing different. But as you say, yes, she like uh, Dumbledore. She gets me out uh, because it's like rain or shine. Nope, we're we're going out for a walk. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you could hear him right now. He's chewing on his bone. He whenever I whenever I zoom, he sits right underneath me and chews on his bone. 
Well, it's nice to have that um, teaching companion, right? Yeah. <laughs> Who's there? Yes, Audrey is here in every class. Um, and she's usually either sleeping or, yes, chewing on something. So, like, that's the, the soundtrack to my classes. It's yeah. Dog <laughs> in the background and often chasing the cats. But, um, yes, I have said before that she feels a little bit like having although I did not know this would be her, her role, but a bit of a therapy dog, right? And yeah. uh, the joy that she has brought and the comfort uh, this year has been, has been really nice. Like the connection with um, our furry friends, you know, yeah. has been quite important. Yeah. And I really miss hugging people. I, I like to hug humans. And so yeah. I, I didn't realize how much I'd miss that, you know, probably if I saw you in the hallway, I would give you a hug, but there's, you know, there's only one other person here to hug and that's not really enough. So Dumbledore gets a lot of attention now and he oh, yes. loves it. Yes, yes. Uh, same with Audrey. She gets so many belly rubs. Uh, yeah. I say she's living the life right now. Yeah. Right now. So um, anyway, well, so Corinne, I've asked you here today in part because I wanted to talk with you about um, your own experience as a student. As you know, this podcast is about really sharing as a community our stories of um, uh, challenge and difficulty as students so that it becomes really more possible for students to share their own stories without shame and to reach out for the help and support that they need knowing that their community understands uh, mm -hmm. in, in, in many ways what they have been through. So um, I'd love to hear a bit about your own experience as, as a student. Yeah, so I'm from the States and I grew up in Arizona and then I went to college in upstate New York at a place called Hamilton College, which is named after or it was founded by Alexander Hamilton, who Lin-Manuel Miranda plays now. But this was before that, you know, before Hamilton got <laughs> famous again, it was, you know, he was just one of those obscure founding fathers. But anyway, I went there because in Arizona, I loved going to school and I really wanted to, you know, go to a great university. And this is kind of like Hamilton is kind of like a wannabe Ivy League. And it was really the thing to go away because in Arizona, they have big state schools and it was the thing to go to a small liberal arts school in the Northeast. So I went there and I, would, I, I think that it was, I think one of the most, well, I would say that that aside from COVID, that was one of the most challenging periods of my life, not for any reason, like, per, I don't know, not for any reason, except I was just like shocked that I was, I would describe it as culture shock to go to a place like that because it was almost like going back in time. It felt like to, to the 1950s or 60s, the way that I imagined that time period would be because it, it turned out to be a pretty racist place. And I'm white, so I didn't experience that personally, but I, I guess I was kind of naive growing up, but in Arizona, I was surrounded by people who were different than me. It was very common in Arizona to be like, there's a lot of Latino people in Arizona. So it wasn't, you know, that's just the way that I grew up. And I thought that was normal. And they probably thought I was weird for thinking that. I don't know, but it, it was just normal. And then I went to Hamilton and people were segregated at Hamilton, like self-segregated at Hamilton. It was the weirdest thing. And I kind of, you know, didn't really think much of it until my freshman, well, until the second semester of my freshman year, I was taking a class called performing politics, where I was put in a group and with other students who were supposed to do some action at Hamilton to make a difference. And they kind of brought up to me that it was segregated. 
And I said, well, what are you talking about? I don't really know what you mean by this. Cause it's not like, there's no signs that say no kids of color here, yeah. you know, whites only, there was nothing like that, but they said, oh, like go into the dining hall and see like, if you could see any people of color in there. And so I went into the dining hall and it was kind of this like building that would look like Hogwarts, you know, it was like all these tables and high ceilings and there could be like candles floating in the sky, like at <laughs> Hogwarts. And they were right. There was no, it was all white in there. And I, and I thought, where is everybody? And it turns out that the place where you get your food, there was like a sun porch on the other side of that. And all the students of color would eat over there. Oh, wow. And I thought, why? Like, this is not the way that I thought the world was. But of course, it's the way the world is. And we know that now. But, you know, just coming out of high school, I didn't know that. And so it was just, that was like so shocking. And I, in my, you know, naive sense, I, like I was now friends with these people. So I said, you know, we could definitely do something about this. And so we decided to start an organization that we called the Social Justice Initiative, because we thought, you know, like maybe Hamilton is just a little backwards. It's in the middle of nowhere in New York, you know, maybe they just haven't caught on yet that the, the world doesn't need to be like this. So we started this organization. And so my friends and I um, went to the dean of faculty and said, could we go to the faculty meeting and say that we're starting this organization to try to solve this problem that we see at Hamilton. And he said, there's no mechanism for students to speak at a faculty meeting. And, and we were like, all we want to do is like say like an announcement, like we're starting this and we want professors who are interested to help us because, you know, we believe that professors are smart and want them to, you know, invest in this change that we want to see in the world. And he said, no, there's no way to do that, but you can meet with me and I'll say what you want me to say for you. And so we thought, okay, you know, that's kind of weird, but we'll go try that. And so we met with him and it was me, another white guy and my friend Robin, who's a black woman and my friend Stephanie, who's Latina. And so the Dean would meet with us and Robin would say something and he would not listen to her. He would, she'd say something about like the segregation existing at Hamilton. And he'd look at me, the white girl to like clarify what she said. Oh and God. I thought this is, and, and I, you know, I was like, which sounds like, like this is me realizing what white privilege is, is that I thought that, you know, of course I can go to Hamilton, you know, this is what we do. This is what I want to do. I want to learn how to read and write. I want to go to this big, like nice school, but I, I didn't ever consider that it would be a different experience in the same place for people of color. And then just to have it be so blatant that the Dean of the faculty wouldn't listen to her was like, we're in the like 1900s again, you know, like this is crazy. And so then we started doing more um, outside of the institution actions. And so we started, we, and so that time we took over the faculty meeting, like we organized a bunch of kids or a bunch of other students to like line the hallways with signs that said like we are silenced and we had tape over our mouths or something like that and so we weren't like there's a rule at Hamilton because there was a lot of activism around the divestment movement that you're not allowed to block like walkways or anything so you're not allowed to actually have a sit-in that's like against the rules so we lined the hallways and the professors had to walk through this like hallway of humans that were like staring them down but not talking with signs that say like we are silenced please help us and then eventually we did get to speak at the faculty meeting and, you know, because the dean was wrong. He had lied to us. Yeah. One of the professors there said, you know, I move that we call on the students and ask why they're, why they're here. And the dean says, no, we can't do that. And the, that professor said, well, actually, in the faculty handbook, the chair of the meeting can call on whoever he wants. Right. And so we did get called on and we were able to say, oh, we're starting this thing. And so then we did some stuff around that. But it was just kind of like 
you know, it was just kind of, that's, that's when I became politicized, I think. And that was not, I mean, it was on the one hand, it was really hard because I, I lost some of my friends that way, you know, mm-hmm. that, that thought this isn't really our issue, Corinne, like we could do some other stuff, like join the Greek life or, you know, join the outing club or do stuff like that. But I thought, or, you know, it just kind of, it just kind of felt wrong to be not wrong, but it just felt not authentic to be doing that sort of stuff when you, it, it was so apparent, like once you see this, it's hard to unsee it. That's right. And then I felt like I needed to kind of do something about it. And so that's kind of, that's kind of what I did during university. And it was just like, again and again, like shocked at the behavior of my peers and, and the things that they would do. So one of the other in, like things that happened is, um, well, in addition to just like blatant racist stuff, like tagging people's cards, cars with bad words, like just like, and that stuff happens all over the place. Like just here, it, like there was um, some anti-Semitic stuff po- and and racist stuff put like on trees and rural roads, right. you know. Yeah. So it's just it just happens all over. And and we as students thought, this is ridiculous. We need to do something about it. So we were organizing. But the other um, big instance was there was a a fraternity that organized a party called Mexican Night, which now we'd recognize just having a party. Of, about an ethnicity is wrong but at the time they thought oh yeah that's that's okay but on their invitations to the party they did it like you had to be and they invited you to dress like an illegal immigrant on the invitations and so it was a wall they had on their uh the border wall with a pinata and people climbing out of the pinata and we thought this is this is not appropriate so then that was another opportunity to have a big action we asked the the dean to cancel that party, which I guess is part of cancel culture now, but he refused to cancel the party. And so what we did is we had like an alternative event that people could go to. And then eventually the fraternity decided that they're no longer going to have that party anymore. So it it was just kind of a series of um, students needing to organize to get the university to change because the university wouldn't do it on its own. And and so we had to kind of take it in our own hands. And it sounds, Corinne, like you know, if we're talking about a kind of transition to university, that part of, or, you know, such a significant part of your transition, as you say, was moving out of necessity into activism. And, um, and, and that, as you said, there was this kind of shock of being in an institution, being at this, at Hamilton, where um, you're confronted in a way that you had never been before, perhaps, mm-hmm. with um, those forms of injustice, right? And and that your transition was then figuring out, uh, sort of grappling with that and figuring out what to do and then mobilizing. Right, yeah. Right? So that you could deal with it by, as you say, you couldn't unsee that, you couldn't unknow what you were experiencing there, right? And that you had to do, do something um, to, to start to, to create this, uh, a change, right? At the institution. Yeah. 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 And it was really, um, like, it was a big growth experience for me as a person uh, because I was raised to know that racism is wrong, but to understand it as kind of an individual act of prejudice. And since I was friends with black people, I couldn't be racist, but then to see the way that the institution itself structured segregation made me see that racism is not my individual actions, but a system in which I'm a part of and which I benefit from. And so in order to live in a world like that, I needed to change 
pretty much every, or I still, it's like a constant thing that every day I need to check myself and think like, how am I furthering this or how am I resisting this? And so the way that that kind of became clear to me is in the same class, it was called performing politics where we had to do an action, but we did some like statistical analysis, not really statistical analysis, but like as undergrads, we were like analyzing the university and the majority of students of color came in through two scholarship programs. One was called the Higher Education Opportunity Program and one was called the Posse Program. And, and so if the majority of students of, or, the, or as an international student, and so if the majority of students of color are coming in through a program that is already like the, for the higher education opportunity program, they'd have to come over the summer and take courses so that way they were prepared to succeed at Hamilton, which is already positioning them in a different way than, than the other students, the white students majority, you know, coming in just because they got accepted, which these students also got accepted, but it was presumed from the beginning that they would need extra help. And so just to see that that happen, and that was why they ended up eating on the sun patio is because they were there for a month over the summer, you know, together. And so they already knew each other. They already had formed friendships. And the same thing was true with the posse program. They met each other all ahead of time. Like the whole point of the posse program was it was a leadership program. And so they didn't need to have any extra classes, but they were kind of selected because they were good, strong leaders already in wherever they went to school. But they, they, came as a posse, as a group. So they already knew each other. They had already gone through like team building experiences with each other. And so they already met each other where the majority of white students went through a pre-orientation program called Adirondack Adventure. And at the time, and Adirondack Adventure was open to everybody, but if you already spent half your summer at Hamilton taking classes, you didn't want to spend another week there right before school started. You wanted right. to go home and like say goodbye to your family. So that was majority white. And so that's what structural racism is, is the way that Hamilton I don't know, like brought the students in, predisposed us to hang out with students that looked like us and did the same activities as us. And so that's, that's just one example. But, it all, but also if you come in in a scholarship, many of my friends said that they were reluctant to do some of the more edgy actions that we were doing because they felt like it was their privilege to be there or their gift or their, you know, and I, and I just said, no, it's my, like, this is what we need to unpack and just destroy that belief that I somehow have a right, a, big, a bigger right to act out at Hamilton, which was true. Like, this is kind of a tangent, but like the Greek life is always acting out. They're always breaking things. And that's built into the structure of Hamilton to clean up their messes. Right. So this idea that, that white students can get away with certain things where the kids on scholarship can't is another example of that so it was just learning all these things and it was nice that I did have a lot of professors that this is what they were teaching about in their classes structural racism white supremacy and stuff like that so it was it, it was good in a sense that I could see it happening in the world and then understand that academia is trying to apprehend it in an intellectual way so so that was kind of nice but it still I don't think was worth it to the, you know, the actual experience of those students, because I don't think they had a good time at Hamilton either. Some of them, I think, did, but I don't think for the most part. And I think, too, Corinne, what you're getting at is that you you were in a position, which you acknowledge is a privileged position, to be able to critique uh, and challenge the education in, in a certain way that you were receiving, like to challenge the institution and to critique it, right? Yeah. And so I think that uh, what's very striking about what you're saying is that uh, on the one hand, you know, you recognize that privilege and also 
a kind what you felt was a clearly a, a responsibility to uh, mobilize to be active in fighting the various forms of injustice and racism um, that were uh, systemic and institutional uh, mm -hmm. there. And also, I, th I think what I'm hearing is that you were saying it was also important for you as a student to be a and for for your transition to university, but for your own education, for your own growth, to be able to to, to question, right? To, mm -hmm. And I think so many students go through four years of um, you know or five years of an undergraduate education, and they aren't given either through classes or through a uh, kind of encouragement the opportunity to question their own education, the means and ends of their own education and the system mm -hmm. that um, really um, administers that education, right? And so it's something that I've certainly long felt is very important for students to be able to uh, really critique and interrogate like the place where they get, where they mm -hmm. have come to learn. And it yeah. sounds like you you were able to do that and but also felt that was essential to your own development as a student right to not only so yes you you acted but you also were were i think it sounds to me very uh, very involved in a deep reflection on the conditions of your own education and how those were probably were different from other students right and and what was why were you there like what were you doing there Right. And right. so uh, I think students in many ways co come to university and there can be a lot of reasons why they find themselves there. But there can be a way of moving them through a degree, an entire degree without mm -hmm. asking that question, what am I doing here? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so important. And for me, I just keep going back to that class called Performing Politics. It was taught by, it was co-taught by a professor in theater named Carol Bellini-Sharp and a professor in comparative literature named Nancy Rabinowitz. And that class changed my life. If I didn't take that class, I would have not ever known any of this stuff. And partially it was because those professors love to push you to ask those questions, not why am I here in the world? Like what, what is wrong with the place that I'm in? How can I make it better? How can I change that? But also, you know, they started reading stuff like we started with Antigone, Wow. you know, so, so we were reading the stuff that I thought we would read at college. And then, but then we read other stuff too, like Brecht, you know, it was, it was such a fun class. It was so, it was from like ancient Greece. I mean, yeah, ancient Greece until the present moment we were reading all this theater, but but they and, and saying, what is the relationship between this play that was written thousands of years ago and our life today? And, and just thinking about that made, really made me want to think about these things. But then also that group projects that they forced us to do. You know, kid, you, you know, I didn't usually think, oh, yeah, group project. I can't wait to do this. But then being with students and thinking about like maybe I'm maybe I didn't come to Hamilton to learn. Maybe I came to Hamilton to meet people you know, and to make relationships and to learn from those relationships was it was just a way and, and I think leaving Hamilton that might have been the most profound thing that I learned was was actually making friends with people and, and saying your life is different than mine. And that is like there's not there's a lot of rich, beautiful things about that. But then there's also some things that that need to change. And I, I think it's been a long time since I read Antigone, but uh, 
just thinking about the connections there to reading a text that engages so much with questions of um, responsibility and what are our obligations to each yeah. other, right? And then you you share, you've just shared, Corinne, that one of the, the big takeaways for you from, from your undergraduate education was really learning about those friendships and your obligations, right? To, mm -hmm. um, to the people around you at, at university, right? Which maybe isn't the thing that you thought you were going to uh, leave Hamilton with, yeah. right? That, that, that I, I think uh, what you've shared here already, Corinne, is the, the way in which we, we might go to university, or, you know, or post-secondary with a sense of um, a kind of purpose, but then we maybe don't know the purpose until mm -hmm. we have a chance to question it, to think about it. And to, I mean, I always tell my students on the very first day of class, um, to spend some time thinking about why they are here. Mm -hmm. You know, what are they doing in my class? And I know for many of them, it's a requirement that they need to take it to yeah. fulfill a requirement. But I ask them to try to push beyond that and start thinking about that and thinking about their education. And as I say, like the means and ends of it and 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 the, how it is structured, right? So that maybe at the end of the day, they, like you, will leave with the degree, but also with so much more in terms of how they mm -hmm. come to understand what it means to be in relation with other people. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yes, I think you've really shed a lot of light on um, the complexities of that transition to university, which is so much more complex than just adjusting to a different way of being assessed or mm -hmm, uh, yeah. right or being away from home or you know or any of those things you you've really i think um shared such an uh, an important and thoughtful um story here about well, not just a story it's your own life right about <laughs> how transformative that was for you and also in shaping the work you do now oh <laughs> and, yeah yeah you know and and really um your your whole kind of career, but in ways that at that time, obviously were not entirely clear as to how that would be so transformative. So Corinne, as you were going through all of this, what, um, you know, I guess what, what kind of, um, I don't wanna say like made things easier for you, but I mean, what, um, like obviously that was also very difficult, right? So to be experiencing um, what you were at Hamilton. So what was sustaining for you, I guess? Like what what helped in those moments that were really tough? Well, I think that um, the thing that, so I, yeah, I didn't really know if this whole thing was what you wanted me to talk about because it wasn't, I mean, even though some things were really challenging, it wasn't that bad because these were my best friends. Like Robin and Stephanie were my best friends in college. And so, um, you know, we'd organize and do these things and have some very negative experiences with the administration, but then we'd go hang out together, you know, and talk to each other. And like, I still keep in touch with Robin and, and consider her one of my best friends still. And so I think that just that, that sort of like human attachment and connection is what allowed me to, you know, what, what motivated me to do it in the first place, but also what made it worthwhile. And, you know, it's just nice to have friends and 
just build, build a community, I guess. And being able, as you say, to be doing some of the, the really hard, um, critical work, right. And, um, activist work, but then at the end of the day, go and, you know, have a beer or something like that with, 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 uh, with your friend, with a friend and, and, um, and as you say, that it's also community building and it's deepening those connections, right. That, uh, are at the end of the day, so, so sustaining, right? So uh, one of the best things about college was Hamilton was a very small college. And so I could walk across and see any, like see a bunch of people that I knew and all of them, if they didn't have class would want to stop and talk and have like a really intellectual discussion, which is kind of why I ended up in academia. Cause that was like, it's so fun to just say, yeah, I want to, I want to work this out with you, or I want to think this through with you. You know, and so I, I really, I miss that today. And well, and especially these days, right, where we're missing those connections. Yeah. But I'm also hearing too that it is something that might be useful for students is is that you you got involved in um, this this work that you were very passionate about, and that was then also very nourishing in terms of the 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 um, community that you built from it, and so students and it probably also brought you um together with as you say with the with the community um more broadly right and so also i think students getting involved in um in in work that they feel really committed to and passionate Mm -hmm. about is another way in terms of um building those connections right so even if at first it maybe doesn't seem as if that will be the pathway to um making friends and things like that. I think you're, yeah, you're also yeah. just reminding uh, students that that's really another, just an excellent way of, of making yeah. friends. Yeah, yeah. So when I was in that performing politics class, I also had another friend in that class who, um, you know, one of the things that we read was Karen Finley, who is a, you know, she writes some very graphic things. And so her play was dealing with rape and, ways of rape that I had not yet imagined at that point in my life and that was really horrific and then my friend in that class like wanted to tell me at that point that she had been raped in high school and and that was like really devastating for me because you know my high school as I've been trying to tell you was like really sheltered and I didn't really think about these things like they happen on tv and they happen to other people but it didn't you know happen to the people that I know and loved and then, you know, that just like, like, I just, you know, of, of course I tried to like comfort her and like witness her story in a good way, but I was really upset about that. So I went and talked to my professor afterwards and I, and I was, I just like fell apart in her office and, and, I, and I was like, what, like, I don't know, I don't even have any idea what I said, but kind of the point of it was like, you just shattered all the illusions I had about the world in this class. Like, how could you have done this to me? Like, what do I do from here? Where do I go from here? And she said, well, you know, first of all, get involved with therapy because you clearly have some issues, which I did. And I think that is very effective. But then the second thing was you just join something, Corinne, like just join an organization, join the women's center, join the environmental action club or whatever, like just join anything. And if that's not the right thing, it doesn't matter. You can stop and join a different thing. And that, you know, at that time I had thought, wow, you know, what a commitment it is to join something like, oh, you know, I don't know anybody there, but then I showed up and people who are there want you to be there. So if you join anything, everybody's going to welcome you because that's their whole goal is to 
make things better, right. make things different or do stuff together. And so I joined the women's center and that was terrific. And I joined, you know, a bunch of other stuff too. And, and so that, you know, like, like what you just said, people want to make friends with you. And, yeah. and so part of it is, you know, join something that you care about and that you want to do, and then you have something to do together, but also at the end of it, you know, if nothing else, you're going to have some really good friends. And it can feel hard, especially these days where you're trying to join online. But I, I mm-hmm. think, you know, I've been having conversations um, for this podcast with faculty from uh, across campus and every, in every single conversation, um, it comes up this issue of, it's really hard to do it, but you've got to try to get out the 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 door you know figuratively yeah. and literally right so that you know you're trying to get out no matter how hard that is right to reach out to others to whether that's your professors or joining a, a club or getting out the the literal door for a walk um mm-hmm. and i think it this applies obviously to non-pandemic times as well that part of figuring out uh who you are and why you are there at university is also about uh, trying to push yourself beyond maybe your own comfort. Mm-hmm. And you, that happened to you very quickly, right, Corinne? Like you if it, have shared that, I mean, even the experience of being in that class, right? That you, yeah. everything was shat, your, your understanding of the world was shattered, right? And so I find it so uh, fascinating that your professor said, well, the the antidote to that feeling is to chase it a bit, right? So push it further mm-hmm. by going further out of your comfort zone, perhaps, and joining some groups um, mm-hmm. so that this will help you to better understand and, and contextualize your experience. Yeah, yeah. I think her point is, I don't care if I shattered your illusions. Yeah. <laughs> they were illusions in the first place. This is the real world. Grow up, girl. You know, like, yeah. yeah. And then once you want, like, like find people to rebuild or to build the world that you want to live in. And I thought, you know, now in hindsight, I think that's the best thing that anybody's ever told me is I can, I, or at least I can try to make the world one that I would want to live in and hopefully right. one that is nicer to others too. And so going forward that you're, it, the shattering has happened and it was a necessity. And now you go forth and work to manifest something different. Yeah. 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 And so, um, so Corinne, I'm just wondering as we sort of um, wrap our our wonderful conversation up here and um, I've just found it so really interesting to hear about your experience at Hamilton. And can I just ask you um, before, before uh, we, we have some concluding thoughts, what year was that? If you don't mind sharing that you were at Hamilton. I was at Hamilton from 2006 to 2010. So, um, you know, so still fairly, uh, I, I mean, so we're thinking about 14 years ago that you started there and yeah, it was, it was still, it was, it was recently, it was recent enough that this stuff shouldn't have been happening, but it was before Black Lives Matter. That's right, yeah. And it was like, you know, right at the beginning of some of that stuff, it was before Me Too, you know, and so a lot of that stuff was still, like, was still silent, 
part of what I learned is, well, I, I think I knew this going into it, but it's important to remember, you know, the more I like gain knowledge is that I don't, as a white person, I don't necessarily have the answers to how to make the university appropriate or make the university behave in a good way. And it might not ever be. And so when I was at Hamilton thinking like, what is the solution to these problems? I, I couldn't go into a meeting and say, I know the answer to this. I needed to, like, I could participate in the brainstorming and stuff, but the answer came from the students of color. And I needed to kind of figure out my role is to support that and to help, you know, achieve that dream and to not participate in the destruction of it. And so what we ended up doing as the social justice initiative is we decided that the, the main thing that we wanted to do was create a cultural education center that is common at many colleges and universities, but Hamilton did not have one. And so that, that would be a place where students of color could go and that could, could organize these sort of support programs that kind of like you were just talking about, you know, all sorts of things like cultural education training, that sort of stuff, training faculty, but also training students and, you know, that, that sort of stuff. And it took four years, but eventually they did decide to do that based on what we did. And I think that with all that has happened in the world since then, I think that even once you create that change that you think this is going to be the solution, it can always fall back into the conservative vision of the university. Like there's so much inertia at Hamilton to continue the vision of Alexander Hamilton himself, who is, you know, historically, I don't think is the way that Lin-Manuel Miranda portrayed him or, or didn't want people to think of him in that way, which is really right. sad. But anyway, it, it has all of that baggage that it's really hard to, to change. But the thing that does change is the community that you create and, and that the university can't control that. And so, you know, this, this kind of thing can happen with like the student marches that people were doing for the environmental walkout kind of stuff. Like if the students have enough bridges and, and commitments and relationships and friendships, the university can't really contend with it. You know, and so that's the difference that students can make. And that the students are the, I've said this before, I mean, the students are the pulse of the university, right? Yeah. Like they, they're the ones that, can make change. Mm -hmm. And I think Corinne, what you've really shared with us today also is that your own um, advocacy work at Hamilton was something that you, you sort of, you came into that context, you had that shattering you in terms of your own understanding of your world, right? And then mm -hmm. forever changed from that moment, you started um, building community and, um, you know, working with your friends, as you said, to uh, on various social justice issues at Hamilton. And that that work gave you and gave your degree, it sounds like, gave you meaning in the sense that, and, and that it was work that has now, uh, you know, as we've already talked about, shaped your, shaped your whole trajectory, right? Mm -hmm. But that it was finding something that was very um, important to you and meaningful. And as you said, once you knew it, you couldn't unknow it. You weren't going to turn your back mm -hmm. on that. And you were going to um, strive every day to meet your obligations to others, right? And to mm -hmm. make change in the world. And I think that um, students sometimes feel as if, you know, I know we've talked about this a little bit, but they sometimes feel as if they don't have 
power in mm-hmm. terms of shaping the direction of their career or their, their university degree, that they can't question, that there isn't room to question their education and to question the university even in those ways, right? And so mm-hmm. I think that what you're also sharing with us is that you came into a, f- a feeling of um, actually you could do things, like you, you had some power to start to make change and that you didn't have to kind of move through your education or your degree doing what um, maybe the university or your own life experience up to that point had, had maybe um, expected you to do perhaps. Mm-hmm. And that, but also more than that, you were able to talk back to the university system in a particular way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good summary of what happened to me at college. I think that what you're saying about power is absolutely right. Everybody has power. And if you think you don't have power, you're actually using your power to maintain the status quo. And, yeah. and so you do have power as an individual to say, I'm not going to be part of this if I don't think it's, it's useful. Or even if I'm going to be part of it, I'm going to be part of it in a questioning and resistant way. And, and, and we, it's our responsibility, I think, as professors to reward that, to say that that is the purpose of university, is to ask the hard questions and to actually make me, as a professor, think things I've never thought before. That's why I teach, is because I want students to be able to do that to me, because I, f- I feel like we, you know, just like our, one of the things that we eventually realized at Hamilton is, is our professors didn't know what would right. solve this problem. And I think we don't hear at UVic either. I, I think that it is kind of the the generation of, of students that are in university to say, this is the future that we see. Let's, you know, work towards it together. I think that that's always what we have to be doing is questioning that. And that then the second thing about power is the power that you have as an individual is nothing in compared to the power that you have in a community. Right. And so if, and, and that community doesn't need to be, it might even be stronger if it is across like preconceived notions of grouping people. Yeah, I love this this conversation about power because I really I do think that students need to realize that they they have power mm-hmm. and power to shape their own uh, education and also power to question mm-hmm. those educational structures. Right. So. You've given us so much to, to think about here, Corinne. I just am so grateful for this uh, conversation. Thank you so well, much for, talking to you. for being here. Yeah, um, thank you, Rebecca. And um, yeah, just really appreciate uh, your, your thoughts here today. All right, take care, Corinne. Yeah, you too. In next week's episode of Waving Not Drowning, I talk with a member of the Bounce team, Isabella Almashi. Izzy graduated this past month and she shares in this episode some of what she has learned as an undergraduate student here at UVic and what she would like students who are maybe just starting out on their undergraduate studies to know. I really hope you'll tune in for this amazing episode. You can keep listening to episodes of Waving, Not Drowning on Anchor FM, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. We'd love it if you would give us a like and a follow on Instagram at UVic Bounce. 
tune in next week for another great conversation. Until then, be well.